0: Hi, my name is Nikki. My name is Charlie, and you're listening to Bed Crime, Bed crime stories. stories, a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night.
1: Hey, John, how are you doing?
0: <laughs> I have a giant portrait of John Lennon in my office where we're recording right now. So, Nikki just wanted to. I'm just make like sure she said hi. I'm
1: I'm staring at all these new things that are on the wall. Yeah,
0: see, yeah, yeah. we uh, recently moved into this house, so and I finally got my office decorated the way that I want it to so there's lots of new things hanging up and lots of fun things to look at so I love it everywhere you turn there's fun things to look at I was like
1: looking at the Walt Disney mm-hmm. puzzle
0: yes that was actually a really fun puzzle to put together it looks like it yeah it was fun all right well welcome to Bed crime Hello. stories everybody uh, we are going to kick things off with Nikki telling us all this week's true crime
1: headlines yay so, my very first one that I saw, and it is giving me anxiety because I know Charlie doesn't like flying. Jovi, you don't like flying either, right? Or do you f- I fly. Okay, Jovi flies. <laughs> we don't fly. No. So, it gives me anxiety because I have to fly next month. And you heard about this on Newsweek. Pilot asked all strong males to subdue problem passenger who turns out to be a flight attendant. Do you see that? No, I did not see that. No? The guy tried to, I guess... Storm, quote unquote, storm the uh, where the pilots are the cockpit. So they thought that the co- the it was getting the plane was getting hijacked. Dang, that's what they thought was happening.
0: And it was a flight attendant.
1: That's what came out. Yeah, and then um, a Delta spokesperson reportedly said the unnamed off-duty flight attendant hijacked the plane's public address syst- uh, address address system. I don't know why I'm struggling to say address. <laughs> to speak to passengers about their oxygen masks during flight 1730, which prompted a dramatic tussle with passengers. Oh, so,
0: gosh. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks.
1: So I'm like, anytime I hear anything like that, I'm like, <sighs> but supposedly what I was reading um, in the article is that um, normally they only have so many hundred. They were saying that there's usually only 100 to 150 official instances of unruly passenger behavior in a typical year. But the figure leaped to more than 1,300 in the first four months of this year.
0: Yes, I did hear that. Isn't that insane? It is insane. And
1: it just, it gives me anxiety because I'm like, I already don't
0: like flying. I don't need people to add on. Well, it's because people aren't, people aren't following the fucking rules. Because you still have to wear a mask the entire time you're on the flight. And, oh, really yeah the entire oh. time you're on the flight actually from the minute you walk into the airport to the minute you get out of the airport you have to have a mask on your face okay which the whole thing for me at least is yes i understand in domestic travel it is a little bit different but you also you're at an airport there's international travel and, and yes. all that stuff it's, it's, it's a safety it's a fucking safety precaution and people are still being incredibly adamant about not wearing the mask and there's like did you see the thing at Sam's Club the other day when people were ripping
1: people's masks off of that? Their- I saw it on TikTok, and it made no. me so angry. People were in Sam's Club basically, like, yelling at people. And this one lady's like, you're not a man if you don't wear a mask or if you wear a mask, blah, blah, blah. But this one guy, he ripped off a mask. And I'm like, how do you not know that this person doesn't have any, like, kind of underlying health conditions that you could be... I have made me angry.
0: so many things that I would like to say, but I'm just going to keep my fucking mouth shut for the good of all of us. <laughs> but that is my first story. Mm.
1: But the second story. So the, um, this is from Newsweek and it says man bugs ex-girlfriend's bedroom, spies on her for a year.
0: Oh, God. Get over it, dude. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So, a man who uh, stalked his ex-girlfriend by bugging her bedroom in order to spy and track her movements has been jailed after the woman endured a year-long campaign of harassment.
0: That poor woman.
1: Yeah. So, this happened in um, Scotland, Mm. and it said that he had created, like, a contact on his phone that was um, called Shug the Plug, which he would actively, like, listen in on and monitor her her movements and such. That is...
0: Ridiculous. Yeah.
1: It says the pair were in a relationship for just over a year and split more than a year ago in January of the last year. So
0: Like I said, like get fucking over it, dude.
1: Yeah. So it says the 34-year-old is said to have launched a campaign of harassment upon his former partner by bombarding the university student with calls and texts, demanding she send him photo um she sent him photos showing her location. And then it said at one point, the court was told um, his victim that he and a friend were laughing at her because she was singing to her cat. Oh, God! Yeah, and then it says in another incident, he turned up at a tender date. She had arranged with another man, confronted and attacked the man, and then told the woman he knew that uh, she was going to McDonald's because he had bugged her home. Oh,
0: my God. And
1: then that's when she had told her, I believe, her brother... And her father, That's just or crazy. yeah, her brother and her father, and they were the ones that had discovered it in her house. Wow! Isn't that crazy? So, Ugh. He's, I believe, currently arrested, and he pled guilty to the assault of the the person at McDonald's. So, people are scary.
0: Ugh.
1: So gross. those are my those are my true crime
0: headlines. Wow. And then Charlie has a story for us this week. Charlie does have a story for you guys this week. So. We aren't recording this... Well, okay. So, since we first decided to do Bed Crime Stories, I have wanted to tell the story. It's actually been on my list of stories to tell since we... Before we even started recording the podcast, this was on my list. And I'm going to tell the story tonight about the unsolved murder of Tupac Shakur, and by extension, also briefly discuss the unsolved murder of christopher wallace also known as the notorious B.I.G. or biggie smalls or biggie i call him biggie in the story because that's just how i refer to christopher i'm excited i've never yeah and it's it's there's a lot of information it's very dense um so it's it's very interesting very very interesting and i learned some stuff writing it to writing it because like, I always knew the story, I always knew it was going on, but there were some details that I weren't wasn't completely 100% in the know, so uh, it's, yeah, I'm excited. And, we happen to recor- be recording tonight's episode on what would have been Tupac's 50th birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, to Tupac. You. Yeah, so I figured, if any day we're going to be talking about Tupac, today is the day. So... My sources for my story is, of course, Wikipedia. Um, I also got some information from an article from The New Yorker by Connie Bruck. And the name of the article is called The Takedown of Tupac. And then I also got information from a book that I have called The Crime Book. And uh, that is actually by multiple authors. There's a few different people who contributed to that book. And it's published by DK London. And I actually highly recommend that book. It's, uh, It's pretty cool, actually. I got it for a Christmas present a couple of years ago. So. Highly recommend. I like
1: how it's up there with like the Muppets and soccer. I know
0: it's in between Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> it's in between the Hamilton tome and um, Jersey Girls. Jersey Girls. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm a woman of varied tastes. Okay. So Tupac Shakur was born on June 16th, 1971 in the East Harlem section of Manhattan, which right off the bat did not know he was born in Manhattan because Tupac is like synonymous, obviously, with the West Coast rap scene. So knowing that he was born in New York just actually kind of blew my mind. Um in 1984, Tupac's family moved from New York City to Baltimore, Maryland, uh, where he attended eighth grade at Roland Park Middle School and then two years at Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School. So after he finished those two years of public high school, he did transfer to the Baltimore School for the Arts, Ooh. where he studied acting, poetry, jazz and ballet, and even performed in Shakespearean plays, which is just crazy to me. Right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know, but I mean, I will say, and I actually, I don't even, (laughs) I don't even get into any of his acting credits in the story because it's, I talk just about the events that like led up to his eventual murder. Um, But just knowing specifically with like Poetic Justice, the movie Poetic Justice that he was in is one of actually my favorite movies from the nineties, knowing that he was in that movie and how, wonderful of a job he did in it it makes so much again makes so much more sense now you know so i don't know it's just it's a cool fact i don't know i like the fact that he did ballet yeah it's pretty awesome it's awesome he also performed um and won competitions as a, as a rapper and actually got a reputation at school as the school's best rapper hmm. And he was also really well known for his humor. And because he was so well-rounded, he could kind of mix in with all the different crowds. So he, like, everybody was his friend, basically. And it states that as a teen, he listened to musicians like Culture Club, Sinead O'Connor, and U2. Wow. I know. I know. Um, It was at the Baltimore Arts High School that he befriended Jada Pinkett. Later, (gasps) Jada Pinkett Smith, um, who we know is a actress um, and also the wife of Will Smith. Um, And the two of them became incredibly close, very good friends. And she actually became a subject of some of his poems that he was writing. And after his death, she was quoted to say that Tupac was one of my best friends. He was like a brother. It was beyond friendship for us. The type of relationship that we had, you only get that once in a lifetime. In 1988, Tupac moved to the West Coast to Marin City in California, which was a, is a really small uh, city, just about five miles north of San Francisco. And he attended Tamil Pius High School where he performed in several theater productions. So he continued even when he went over to California to perform um, theater. So in 1990, when he was only 19, Tupac got a job with the rap group Digital Underground, best known for their hit song, The Humpty Dance. So little factoid there, Shock G, who is also known as Humpty Hump, hence the Humpty Dance. He is was actually from Tampa, and he just passed away in April,
1: huh. in Tampa. Crazy. Yeah, crazy.
0: The Humpty Dance is your chance to do the hump. So I've never heard that. Oh my god, it's such a good song. From iconic. iconic, iconic. Oh, He's way. I too, I yeah, it. I was gonna say Nikki's way too young to know the Humpty Dance. I was just like. Me, baby. Okay, um, so Tupac at 19 was hired to be the group's road manager and a dancer, but his real break came the following year in 1991 when he was picked up and signed by Interscope, Interscope Records. His first album, Tupacalypse Now, featured the song entitled Brenda's Got a Baby uh, that he wrote after hearing a news story about a 12-year-old girl who was sexually assaulted and became pregnant with her cousin's child and then threw the newborn baby into an incinerator. About the song, Tupac had said, uh, quote, when this song came out, no male rappers at all anywhere were talking about problems that females were having, number one. Number two, it talked about sexual abuse. It talked about child molestation. It talked about families taking advantage of family. It talked about the effects of poverty. It talked about how one person's problems can affect a whole community of people. It talked about how the innocent are the ones that get hurt. It talked about drugs, the abuse of drugs, broken families how she couldn't leave the baby, you know, the bond that a mother has with her baby and how women need to be able to make a choice. Later songs, including the hit single Keep Your Head Up, which is my favorite Tupac song, and Dear Mama, continued this theme of advocacy for women, but Tupac also wrote music that had misogynistic themes. What
1: What year was this?
0: It was the first, it was the 91 to 94, I want to say.
1: Imagine, 30 yeah. years later and oh, we're still...
0: Oh, I know. Yep. Um but Tupac also Thanks wrote pop Yeah, I know, really seriously. Uh, but Tupac wrote music that had misogynistic themes as well. Um and this to me kind of shows that recurring conflict about Tupac that he there was very there was two very opposite sides of him. There was the good side and the bad mm-hmm. side. He could be both things. And he was quoted to say a man can be sexist and compassionate to women at the same time. I was. So very interesting. Very self-aware. I dig it. Tupac moved to Los Angeles in 1992 and in the same year released his second solo album. It was in this time that Tupac began to observe and document in a way through his music, the realities of gangs and what life was like in South Central LA. And by 1993, we start to see the legal battles begin to arise in his own life. So on April 5th, 1993, Tupac was charged with felonious assault after he allegedly threw a microphone and swung a baseball bat at the rapper Chauncey Wynn. On September 14, 1994, Tupac pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor and was sentenced to 30 days in jail. 20 of them uh, were suspended and he was ordered to serve 35 hours of community service. In October of 1993 in Atlanta there were two brothers that happened to be off duty police officers out drinking, uh, with their wives. And, uh, while they were crossing the street, they were allegedly almost hit by a car that Tupac was riding in and the two, two brothers and the occupants in the car start to argue. And Tupac winds up firing a gun and struck each of the two brothers. One of the brothers had also fired a weapon at the vehicle. So prosecutors did ultimately drop all charges against both parties. Um, Tupac was in talks to star in the film Menace to Society but was replaced by actor Vontae Sweet after allegedly assaulting one of the film's directors Alan Hughes in early 1994 Tupac served 15 days in jail after being found guilty of the assault and the prosecution's evidence actually included an interview that he gave on Yo! MTV Raps boasting that he had quote beat up the director of Menace to Society probably not a good idea to say that on television (laughs) Um, In November 1993, Tupac and three other men were charged in New York with sexually assaulting a woman in his hotel room. On December 1st, 1994, he was convicted of first degree sexual abuse. And in February of 1995, he was sentenced to 18 months to four and a half years in prison. On October 12th, 1995, pending an appeal, Tupac was released after Suge Knight, who's the CEO of Death Row Records, posted his $1.4 million bond. Um, And it was this action that led Tupac to later sign with Death Row Records, which we're going to revisit that scenario. Remember what I just said. So we're going to revisit that later on the story. Um, on April 5th, 1996, Tupac was sentenced to 120 days in jail for violating his release terms by failing to appear for a road cleanup job. But on June 8th, his sentence was deferred via appeals pending in other cases. It's important to note for future reference that it was in these years, the years of 93 and 94, that Tupac and Christopher Wallace, Biggie Smalls, Biggie, um, began their friendship. So in 1993, while visiting Los Angeles, Biggie arranged for an introduction to Tupac and Biggie and his friends were welcomed into Tupac's home and subsequently would he would wind up staying at Tupac's house during future visits to LA like as a house guest. And in turn, when Tupac would visit New York, he would spend time in Brooklyn with Biggie and Biggie's friends Um, on November 30th, 1994. While in New York recording verses for a mixtape, Tupac was offered $7,000 by music manager James Rosemond to stop by Quad Studios in Times Square and record a verse for Rosemond's up and coming client. Tupac was hesitant, but eventually he agreed because he needed the cash to offset his rising legal costs. And then when he arrives at the studio, three men rob and beat him at gunpoint. Tupac resisted and was shot. Um, He speculated that it had all been a setup. Like, you were offering me cash to go to this place. I get there and I get jumped. Like, what the fuck? He winds up going and having surgery. Three hours after surgery, Tupac checked out of the hospital against doctor's advice And the next day, he was in a Manhattan courtroom, bandaged and in a wheelchair. And that was where he got the sentence for that sexual assault I was talking about earlier. So he was in the courtroom in a wheelchair, all bandaged up from his surgery, getting his sentence for the sexual assault. So Just craziness. In a 1995 interview with Vibe magazine, Tupac accused Sean Combs. Puff Daddy. I was gonna say, I know that name. <laughs> I know that name. Tupac accused Sean Combs. I only call him Sean Combs in this because I don't want to, I don't like Puff or Puffy or Puff Daddy. And he or no P longer go, He doesn't go
1: by any yeah, of those he, anymore.
0: I don't know. I call him, well, He then he was doing Sean Puffy Combs, and I think now he's just Sean Combs. So we're just calling him Sean Combs for the rest of the story. So Tupac accused Sean Combs, James Rosemond, and Biggie, among others, um, of helping to set up, or at the very least, being in on the November 1994 robbery and shooting. These accusations were incredibly significant and really added fuel to the fire and cemented the East Coast, West Coast hip hop rivalries. Um, And apparently, Tupac made the accusation based on the fact that Sean Combs and Biggie were at Quad Studios at the time. And in 1995, just a few months later... Sean Combs and Biggie released their song Who Shot Ya and (gasps) the song did not mention Tupac by name but Tupac took it that like the pair were ridiculing him and like making fun of the shooting and thought that this was another hint to them being responsible. Like
1: we were talking about a couple weeks ago like if you think something is what it
0: is you're gonna see that. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. If you see right because we were talking about that with Cobain but it's the same thing of if he's already has this feeling that Puffy and Biggie were part of it, when he hears the song, he's going to pick out the clues that are like, oh, see, yeah. told you. Yeah. Cause um, that's
1: especially, well, nowadays in 2020, one. 21, <laughs> 2021, uh, 2020 plus one, plus yes. one. Uh, that's how rappers
0: beef is like, is through, is, is, through, through, dis- is through diss tracks. Yeah. You know, or they Mariah beef. Carey and Eminem. Oh my God. So, Real quick about Mariah Carey and Eminem. 1st of mm. all, Why are You So Obsessed With Me is such a jam. It's such a, good, such a good, song. good song. So the other day, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole, and I don't know how I got there, but I was watching old episodes of uh, Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. And he does this thing called Plead the Fifth, where he'll ask the person the questions, and they can answer it, or they plead the fifth, and I think then they have to drink or something like that. So he was playing Plead the Fifth with Mariah Carey, and oh the first gosh. thing he asked her was, Say three nice things about Eminem. So she goes, "They come in a variety of flavors. Um, you can hold them in your hand." I was dying of laughter. I'm like, "This bitch is clever, clever, clever."
1: I just, I love when she performs live, and she like doesn't even make an effort.
0: Yeah, but like, you, you gotta love her. I know, I love her. She's she can, like, she's like, I've paid my dues. I yeah, can just be here. Exactly. Like I'm Mariah Carey. You're gonna listen to me anyway. Do you really care? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's backtrack just a bit to before Tupac's release from prison on the bond paid by Suge Knight. So we're going to remember I told you to keep that in mind. So we're back a couple of months prior to him being released. Suge Knight visits Tupac in jail and, um, he happened to be in New York city where Tupac was being held in prison because he was going to attend the source awards. So after he visits Tupac in jail, he goes downstate into New York city um, and while he's on stage at the Source Awards, Suge Knight uses this time on stage to seemingly make digs at Sean Combs. Okay, so it, he's making comments that kind of allude that he's poking the bear on Sean Combs. He also makes a brief comment in support of Tupac and then ends his speech Um, with an invite to artists who are looking to gain the spotlight for themselves to join Death Row Records. So allegedly, after Suge Knight gets off stage, Sean Combs confronts him backstage. But Suge Knight reassures him that the comments that he made on stage were actually to target Jermaine Dupri and his label, Deaf Records in Atlanta. So, yeah who knows so, sean combs
1: has a record company yeah bad boy the, okay bad boy Records. uh okay mm. yes okay sorry
0: i'm like it's okay i do that, i actually i know I he said i don't mention it really until next but i still also don't really kind of mention it but Because yes, he's a bad, bad boy.
1: boy for life he's bad
0: boy for life okay I, I do know that yes yes see and it's really funny because i was just a little backstory i was a huge tupac fan growing up huge Tupac fan so I always kind of aligned with even though growing up in Jersey I was kind of aligned with the west coast rappers because I love Dr. Dre I love Snoop and all that right I love Snoop. my I love Snoop still to this day I love Snoop I love him my sister is a huge east coast rap fan um specifically Biggie she loved Diddy she loved all of those bad boy records people she loves Jay Z like you know whatever so it was always like a thing when we were growing up like we would Tease each other and joke about it. But I remember, like, when the deaths happened, you know, I actually remember, huh, well, I'll get to it. Okay. I'll get to it. I'll tell the story. It's a little, little personal thing. Not really. Never mind. You'll see. All right. <laughs> None of that made sense. I apologize. Um, okay. So, because Suge Knight kind of told him, no, 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 I was talking about Jermaine Dupree, not you, Sean Combs kind of like let it go for now. But while he was in New York, Suge Knight pays a visit to Uptown Records. So Uptown Records is where Sean Combs got his start in the music business working as an intern. And that's how he kind of made all of his connections when he created Bad Boy Records. In this meeting with Uptown, Suge Knight was able to arrange the contract releases for some of Sean's top artists and then recruited them to his management company. Those artists include the group Jodeci and Mary J. Blige. So fuel on the fire. <laughs> Suge Knight just pour in the fuel on the fire. In September of 1995, again, we're about a month before um, Tupac's release from jail. So in September of uh, 1995, there was a party in Atlanta for Jermaine Dupree And an entourage from Bad Boy up, winds up in a heated altercation with Suge Knight and Suge's friend, uh, Big Jake Robles. Big Jake was also um, a bodyguard for the Death Row crew. Um, according to eyewitnesses, Sean Combs argues with Suge Knight inside the club. And then just a few minutes later, outside of the club, Diddy's childhood friend and his own bodyguard, Anthony Jones, aims a gun at Big Jake and shoots and kills him as he's entering Suge Knight's car. Now, Sean Combs and his bodyguard both deny any involvement, as obviously do their lawyers. And the lawyers have even put forth the claim that. Sean Combs wasn't even with the bodyguard that night in the club. The case, this particular case remains officially unresolved as well. But of course, immediately, Shug Knight blames Sean Combs. And this is really kind of, again, that just building, building, building the tension of this East Coast, West Coast rivalry, specifically the two record labels themselves and their presidents. And at the time, Bad Boy Records and Death Row Records were the two biggest record labels in rap so the fact that they were feuding very publicly was i mean it was just that was always the story i remember mtv news would talk about the rivalries all the time like it was such a huge a huge thing
1: wait who was your who was your total
0: request live vj uh well we're if we're talking about this time there was no tRL yet <laughs> oh that's all i am. But you figure that there was, was when we were doing, I mean, if I'm talking about just MTV News Anchor, that was when it was Kurt Loder. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: See, I remember, what was it? Carson Daly on T.
0: t- Carson Daly was TRL. Mm-hmm. And then it was- That's so where I'm at in this- Kurt Loder started MTV News, but then it was Suchin Pak. <gasps> yes. Who I loved. I loved her. Yeah. When I worked at MTV that summer, she like she was my homie. I really liked Suchin a lot. She was really sweet. But yeah, good times. Um, that's another story for another day, kids. I know I just kind of like threw that out there. And we were like, you did the what with the who now? Yeah, it's whatever. We'll we'll talk about the one day. <clears throat> that shooting was in September of 95, like I had mentioned. And it was in October of 95 that Suge posts the $1.4 million bond. So Tupac gets out of jail. He returns to L.A. and he officially signs with Death Row Records. Once he signs with Death Row Records, he releases a diss song called Hit em Up. And it was somewhat of a response to the song who shot ya? Um, was taking offense to that was released by Biggie and Sean Combs. And in his diss track, Tupac targets, Biggie, Sean Combs, bad boy records, and junior mafia. And junior mafia was like a little side group that Biggie had created. Lil' Kim was part of junior mafia. And he also name checks other New York based rappers like mob deep, etc. So on the night of September 7th, 1996, Tupac was in Las Vegas and attended the Bruce Seldon versus Mike Tyson boxing match with Suge Knight at the MGM Grand. After the fight, they're in the lobby, and somebody in their group spots um, this guy named Orlando Anderson, also known as Baby Lane, um, who's an alleged member of the Southside Compton Crips. Months prior to this night, Orlando Anderson had allegedly assaulted um, this man named Trevon Lane, who was a member of Death Row Records, and during the assault, Orlando stole Trevon's chain with the Death Row well, medallion you hanging don't from do it. That. Yeah, and supposedly at that time there was like a bounty plate, basically like a bounty place yeah. on Death Row chains, and this was what their rivals would were- like. It was like a if you stole the chain, you were like the the yeah. top guy, you know, type of a thing. The surveillance footage at MGM Grand shows that the group from death row see orlando anderson and attack him and tupac is part of this right immediately following this attack in the lobby tupac stops back at his hotel room and then he heads out with suge knight in a black bmw sedan heading towards club 662 with the rest of their entourage in multiple vehicles At approximately 11.15 p.m. at a stoplight, a white four-door late model Cadillac sedan pulls up to the passenger side and someone in the Cadillac rapidly fires into the BMW. Tupac was hit four times, once in the arm, once in the thigh, and twice in the chest, with one bullet entering his right lung. Suge Knight is struck in the head with shards from the shots, but he's... Okay, Uh, Tupac's bodyguard, Frank Alexander, was not in the car at the time because he had been asked to drive the car behind them with Tupac's girlfriend. So Tupac was taken to the University Medical Center of Southern Nevada, where he was sedated and put on life support. Six days later, on the afternoon of September 13th, 1996, Tupac died from internal bleeding. He was pronounced dead at 4.03 p.m. And the official cause of death was listed as respiratory failure and cardiopulmonary pulmonary arrest associated with multiple gunshot wounds tupac's body was cremated the next day he was 25 years old and unfortunately in the death of tupac shakur no one has still ever been formally charged
1: was cremated the next day the next
0: day yep mm-hmm. um, that was
1: by family's request yeah, I think oh, okay. it was also
0: possibly his request as well. But yeah. Oh, okay. like, um,
1: damn. That was
0: quick. Yeah, very quick. Very sad. I mean, it was just really, really sad. I remember in those six days being just beside myself. And I remember going to church one night because um, I was in like the church choir. I remember lighting a candle for Tupac. Oh, just I was ugh, I was so upset. I was so upset so upset and of course like i was young so it was 1996 yeah. i was 13 so of course i'm like oh my god tupac now you know it's just it was and it's fucking sad yeah so five months after the death of tupac in february of 1997 biggie travels to los angeles from new york to promote his upcoming album life after death and to film the music video for its lead signal single hypnotize love it Um, on March 5th, he gave a radio interview on San Francisco's KYLD, in which he states that he had hired extra security while he's in California because he feared for his safety. Biggie referenced not only the ongoing East Coast, West Coast hip hop feuds, and the murder of Tupac six months prior, but his role as a high high profile celebrity in general. So he's he was scared and this was the reason for his decision to hire extra security. Um, life after death was scheduled to release on March 25th, 1997 on March 7th, Biggie presents an award to Tony Braxton at the soul train music awards in Los Angeles and was booed by some of the attendants. He's an East coast rapper. We're in LA. Oh yeah. Um, the following evening on March 8th, he attends an after party hosted by vibe magazine and quest records at the Peterson Automotive Museum in West LA. After midnight, so just after midnight on March 9th, so same night, but technically next day, um, Biggie leaves the event with his entourage and they climb into two Chevy Suburbans to return to his hotel. Uh, the party actually wound up being shut down by the LA Fire Department because it was overcrowded. So he leaves. He's in the front, he's in the first uh, suburban along with his associates. Sean Combs was in the back suburban with his bodyguards. And then there was also a Chevy Blazer behind them. And that was Bad Boys Records uh, director of security was riding in that car. So that's how many people they had surrounding them. By 1245 in the morning, the streets were crowded with people leaving leaving the event. Biggie's SUV stops at a red light um, on the corner of Wilshire Boulevard and South Fairfax Avenue, just 50 yards from the museum. A dark colored 1994 to 1996 Chevy Impala SS pulled up alongside Biggie's SUV. The driver of the Impala rolls down the window, draws a nine millimeter pistol and fires at the Suburban, striking Biggie four times. His entourage rushes him to Cedar sinai Medical Center where the doctors perform an emergency procedure, but he is pronounced dead at 1.15 in the morning. He was 24 years old. Jesus. Yeah. The rapper Nas felt at the time that Biggie's death, along with that of Tupac, was, quote, nearly the end of rap. Immediately following the shooting, reports surfaced, linking Biggie's murder to Tupac's murder six months earlier due to the many similarities in the drive-by shootings and the highly publicized East Coast, West Coast hip hop feud of which Tupac and Biggie were the two main players. So media reports have previously speculated that Biggie was in some way connected to Tupac's murder, but there's never been any evidence to formally implicate him. And Biggie was actually able to provide an alibi for that evening. Shortly after Biggie's death, Los Angeles Times writers Chuck Phillips and Matt Leite reported that the key suspect in his murder was a member of the Southside Crips acting out a personal financial motive rather than on the gang's behalf. So money issues, or he felt that Biggie owed him money or vice versa, et cetera. The investigation stalled, however, and no one was ever formally charged in the murder of Biggie Smalls. It is now almost 25 years since Tupac was murdered and we just passed 24 years since the death of Christopher Wallace, the notorious B.I.G. Many conspiracy theories surround the deaths of both men, but none have ever been substantiated. Some claim that Sean Combs ordered the hit on Tupac, and in turn, Suge Knight ordered the hit on Biggie. There are constantly new theories, new books, new biopics being released about the deaths of both Tupac and Christopher Wallace, including ones presented by the police officers that were assigned to investigate the murders. The Christopher Wallace Memorial Foundation holds an annual black tie dinner called the Big Night Out, B-I-G Night Out, to raise funds for children's school equipment and to honor Biggie's memory for this particular event because it is a children's school charity big is said to stand for books instead of guns oh i know i know i read that i'm like (laughs) so sweet um in 2002 tupac was inducted into the hip-hop hall of fame on december 30th 2016 which was his first year of eligibility tupac was nominated and subsequently in the ceremony on april 7th 2017 he was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame And that is the story of the murders of, well, the murder of Tupac Shakur and also the murder of Biggie Smalls. Very good. I didn't know any of that stuff. Isn't that crazy? And, like, the thing that was frustrating me is there's so much more I wanted to talk about. Like, I wanted to talk about Tupac's relationships because that was always something that was fascinating to me. Like, he dated Madonna, and he was friends with, like, very popular... Art. there's actually well, wasn't,
1: wasn't like him and Jada like more than they were because
0: I feel like that that's something that like Will Smith has talked about so I remember what was it was it last summer or the summer before when it came out that Jada had the affair with that young guy Remember that was two years ago, right? Yeah, where that came out, where Jada had had the affair with that younger guy, and there was the whole thing on the red table talk where Will came on the thing, and they were crying and blah blah blah. But he goes, and he he, Will also said that he was like, he's like, I also did it when I was really tired. So of course his eyes look like. And I'm sorry. The fact that he has to justify that he was crying about the fact that his wife cheated on him is bullshit. Yeah. And he had every right to be emotional about it. And people are stupid. And Will Smith, you can cry if you need to.
1: I'm gonna be honest. I didn't. That's right. I didn't. I have a
0: shoulder. Jovi loves Will Smith.
1: I, I I'll be honest. I didn't watch the Red Table, but I do love Will Smith. Like every movie he's in, I'm mm-hmm. like crying.
0: I actually Why? adore the. I adore the, like the entire Smith family. I oh, was yeah. actually watching the Red Table talk today with uh, Willow. Smith um, interviewing Paris Jackson, Michael Jackson's daughter. I only got like halfway through it, but I was crying through the whole thing because you guys know how much I love Michael Jackson. So it was just, it was very emotional for me.
1: His poor children go through so much. His
0: children have always gone through so much and I just love Paris Jackson so much. Fucking much. It's not even funny. But anyway. Yeah. Um, but yes, when that whole thing happened, one of the things that Will talks about in that red table interview is about how he always felt very threatened by Jada's mm-hmm. relationship with Tupac. Now, in that interview, she insists, and I do believe the fact that there were never any romantic there was no romantic things that ever happened between her and Tupac. But, like, the quote that I read, like, it was, we weren't just friends, though. Like, it was so much more than that, but it never got to, like, the romantic part of it. Mm. Um, So, you know, I know that... From just things that she said in Red Table Talk and just in interviews and stuff. Like she is still still to this day very much affected by the death of Tupac. Yeah. Well, I feel like that maybe it was like an intellectual connection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yes. But like I said, I know he was romantically involved with Madonna. She has spoken very publicly about when he was in prison. That was when they were dating oh. and he would send her like beautiful letters from prison and like it's just that's that's so fascinating to me and there was a thing that i read as i was doing my story that him and alanis morissette were going to open a restaurant together like this is the type of person that tupac was like yeah yes, i'm not saying that he didn't do really fucked up things obviously he did really fucked up things he wouldn't have Gotten in trouble if he didn't do fucked up things, right? Yeah. But that's why I said, like, it's like a consistent theme in his life that he, there's two very, very, very opposite stark sides to Tupac. Yeah. He was just as damaged as he was a great man. And it's Mm -hmm. just, it's very fascinating to me. And I was always such a big fan of Tupac. So I'm just, I loved getting to write the story, but it was frustrating me because I wanted to talk about so much more. So, but yeah, that is the story of the murder of
1: score. Being an outsider who's never really heard of that those stories in mm-hmm. that, like, context, mm-hmm. besides that they were shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, listening to that, it, it almost sounds like an eye for an eye.
0: Yes, and I that's, definitely have my own personal beliefs about what happened. From an outsider perspective, I, I mean, I don't know what else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely have my own personal beliefs on what happened. I mean, that's not for me to say. Again, I'm not a professional, so it's not my place to to put those theories out there. I have my beliefs about what happened. But, you know, I think the at the end of the day, it's just it's a tragedy. They were young men that had very full lives ahead of them. And the thing that is is sad, too, is there was such a crazy rivalry between East Coast and West Coast rappers. And it wasn't too long after the two of them passed away that your southern rapper started to come up uh, and mm-hmm. there there was a diffusion of that tension and it started to become and believe me i know luda, that
1: is luda considered a southern luda southern i love luda. Uh, obviously
0: jermaine dupree and then you also have all the guys from um st louis that's nelly and uh, his whole yeah. crew so it's like you know you have all of these different areas and then you have like technically Eminem well Eminem is from obviously from Detroit, Michigan yeah but he's technically Detroit, technically out of yeah he's like technically out of LA because he aligned with Dr. Dre blah, blah, blah. oh yeah um but you have all of these other rappers from other areas of the country kind of coming in and like diluting the tension mm-hmm. so I just I think that if it had gone on for just a little bit longer it would have been okay and I think you would have been able to see like a reconciliation between the two of them. And yeah. I don't know, maybe that's just me being hopeful, but it's just very sad to me. Um, but yeah, so that is, uh, that's this week's bed crime story. So You're happy good. 50th birthday, Tupac. I'm not mad at you. For our out for our yes. Oh God. It's so sad. Now I feel like I want to go listen to.
1: Now Tupac. I do too.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, keep your head up is my favorite Tupac song, but I also love California love. Mm-hmm. Cause it's my jam. But, uh, yeah. So, Anyway, I hope that you guys have a good evening and please make sure that you are looking for us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok is at Bed Crime Stories. Um, You can email us at bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com. We like those emails. We love those emails. Yeah, we've been getting some and it's really exciting. (laughs) It makes us feel cool. It does. It makes us feel really happy. And right. Social. Oh, like, subscribe, review. All that stuff is positive
1: reviews,
0: (laughs) please. Um, but yeah, so again, thank you guys so much for listening. We love all of you guys so much. Please be kind to one another. Um, and we will see you all next week. But until then, sweet sweet dreams. dreams. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash buy backslash 3.0.